Did you know that you and I, we have the power to define our own existence? Like you and I, we can choose how we want to live. The way we want to see the world, we, if we want to see it through the eyes of negativity and depression, or if we want to see it through the eyes of faith and joy. In other words, based on what you expect to find, you will find it. If you expect Mondays to be gloomy, then you're going to have gloomy Mondays, right? If you expect to be let down by politicians, you will be let down. If you expect to be angry at the government, you'll be angry at the government. If you expect to not have anything in common with people outside of your comfort zone, then you won't have anything in common. If you expect Christmas to be miserable, then it will be miserable. Our actions, our beliefs, our attitudes will define and determine your experience. And so what has your experience been like so far? I know some of you, you started a couple of weeks ago. Jeff admitted to it, right? As soon as the Thanksgiving meal was over, right? The, the turkey was still warm and you're, you're putting the tree up already. For many of you, it started right after Halloween, right? And then for others, it started right after New Year's last year, right? Best prices on presents, right, for the next year. Best price on decorations. Would anyone admit to doing that last year, shopping for that? Yes, yes, it's church. We can be honest, right? So for me, I couldn't do that. I could not buy Christmas presents a year out. Like, I'd be giving Christmas presents for birthdays and candy canes at Easter, right? You know, I'd be like, happy birthday, it's a... Christmas sweater, right? You know, you know, it just, there's no way the presents would make it a whole year. This is a season of tradition. For you, thinking about your experience and your traditions, what, what, what did you and, or how did you and your family experience the Christmas season growing up? What traditions did you have? You know, um, something that you guys did together every year. Uh, how many of you went to a tree farm and cut down a tree together as a family? Was that something you guys did? A few of you, all right? Um, go to the movies. Anybody like, that's a tradition. We go to the movies on Christmas, yeah. Uh, our, my family, every year, we went to the Toledo Zoo. They had a thing called Lights at the Zoo, and they, we, we go still now uh, to see all the animals. And then with lights everywhere, it's a kind of a neat experience. But I want you just for a moment to take a second and say hello to the person next to you. And I want you to share with them a tradition that you had, maybe you have now or you had as a kid. What was something, a way you experienced the Christmas season? Take a minute, talk to each other, and then we'll come back together. Church tradition, uh, we call this season Advent. It's from the Latin word Adventus, which means coming, right? It's a season where God's people, um, they begin to prepare their hearts. Uh, it's a season of waiting, of anticipation, of longing. The first Advent was waiting the arrival of the Messiah, The people of God had been waiting. There were 400 years between the Old Testament and the New Testament of silence from God. The Magi would have started long before studying maps and stars, getting ready. Mary was anticipating getting married and uh, plans ultimately suddenly changed, right? And And she waited to give birth now to Jesus. Joseph was waiting and trusting and humbling himself. And today we're waiting Not for the birth of Christ, but for his return. Truth is, if we were honest, that's not the first thing that comes to mind, though, when we wait for December 25th. When you think about the time of Christmas, and it's everywhere, but it's fun. And as much as you want to fight it, it's fun, right? Sometimes I got this uh, feeling growing up in church that we're not supposed to enjoy Christmas, right? And if we do, it's only the parts about Jesus, right? Like, there was always someone saying... You know, that's not the true meaning of Christmas, don't you, right? Or, or when you say, hey, I got this great deal on Black Friday, there's that person that says, 
well, did you remember Good Friday? You know, you know, it just, it's there. And, and as a kid growing up, we did the Christmas tree stuff, right? We did the gifts and the holiday shows and the movies. We did all of it. And you do all of it. We still do it. But you really don't talk about it. Not, not at church as a kid because that wasn't religious enough, right? That's not the reason for the season. But I decided a long time ago that I wasn't going to fight it. That my kids can't pretend that they don't want toys because it's Jesus' birthday, right? They're like, no, we, we still want toys, Dad, right? Happy birthday, Jesus. Where's our gifts, right? And so, yeah, we're going to have that fun again this year. We're going to give gifts the whole thing. The Spotify playlist called Christmas Tunes was playing as you walked in this morning. The hot chocolate bar was out in the coffee bar, right? But at the same time, we need to be aware of the story of Christ. In the midst of it, in the, in, in, we, how do we cut through all this stuff that somewhere in the midst of that, that we prepare our hearts to remember Jesus? Or the more tragic question is, is do we even want to, right? Or do we just want to cash it in, right? Load up the credit cards and, and have a really good Christmas this year. Or do we somehow in the midst of it call a timeout, the mannequin challenge, right? And say, yeah, we're going to do all that stuff. But in the midst of it, the, the chaos, the, the rush, can we, can we have a fresh encounter with Jesus this year? Somehow we wade through the stuff and somehow invite Christ into that. Or do we accept the invitation to experience the story ourselves? And that's what we're talking about today. How do we anticipate? How do we wait but not get stuck in a moment? How do we wait and look back and remember what Christ has done? How do we wait and look forward in anticipation of what Christ is going to do? And so if you have a Bible, turn with me to Luke chapter 3. That's, we're going to be in two different passages today. We're starting in Luke chapter 3. Our goal in our time together is to figure out what does it look like to wait for Jesus to come? What does it really mean for you and I to, to let the story shape us and define our experience? Join me in prayer. God, over the next few moments, open our hearts and our minds. Speak to us in a new way, in a fresh way. May we engage the story this morning. In your name we pray, amen. So John the Baptist shows up and he has this holiday message in Luke 3. And if you know John the Baptist at all, you know he's big on these really cheerful holiday messages. Verse 7, John said to the crowd coming out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourself, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees. And every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Merry Christmas. So... John shows up on the scene and he paints this picture of Christ as a, as a forerunner, right? Uh, he says, I'm going to get the path ready for the people. And he shows up on the scene with this, with this word of participation. And he says, it's, it's really this language that is pointing to the picture of Christ coming back. And those caught standing around, not producing, are going to be cut down. And this is kind of this pretty intimidating portrayal of Jesus. And yet... When Jesus showed up on the scene, he showed up as a defenseless baby in a cow trough. Then he humbly walked on the earth as a homeless carpenter, ultimately goes to the cross and is crucified as a criminal, dying in our place and then raising from the dead. 
And yet in Luke 3, Scripture clearly portrays another picture of Jesus coming, that he is coming again. And when you read the book of Revelation, you have a picture of a Christ that is not a baby in a manger, not a sacrificial lamb, but as a lion coming back on a white horse with a robe dipped in blood. He has a sword coming out of his mouth to thrash sin and evil. He's coming back as a righteous judge. And I look at both of those pictures and you see them throughout scripture. And John is obviously alluding to the second picture here. And the question that I have to ask myself, the very first question we have to ask is, is do I believe that's true? Do I believe that Jesus is coming back? Am I living out the advent? Am I waiting? Am I longing? Am I anticipating? Am I expecting Jesus to come again? We look back at the Christmas story and the purpose of looking back and the purpose of remembering all of it is to to remind you that God has come. That this is real, that that really happened. He did enter into history and he did create this beautiful pathway for you to be forgiven and to be loved by God and to be known by God. But he doesn't stop there. And sometimes I think we wish he would because the picture of Jesus in Revelation doesn't excite us very much, right? It doesn't excite us because we know we have sin inside. We don't really get excited to to have that judged. And even the, the language of it, we don't like. At the same time, when we look out at the world or we turn on the news and you don't, you don't have a, to look very far or very hard to see injustice happening everywhere. And it's not, it's that piece of you that says, I long for righteous judgment, for what's wrong in this place to be made right. But it's not just that, it's the stuff inside me too. It's, it's not just the activity I see throughout the world, but it's my own lust and anger and pride and sinful desires, that stuff inside of me that I don't like. And both of those Jesus is coming in the past and in the future is that he's coming to take away sin and call people to himself. But in both instances, you see sacrifice. One is his own, which opens the pathway to heaven. And in the future, it's this final sacrifice of war. It's wrath. It's ugly. But it's also beautiful. A God who is victorious in it. And righteousness reigns. And to understand that love does win. I don't always like both pictures of Jesus. I like Jesus in a manger. I like Christmas Jesus and baby Jesus and even cross Jesus. But not revelation Jesus. It's not the one I want. But it's the one that is. And so the question comes back. And we all have to answer this on our own. Do I believe it? Do I believe the story that Jesus will return? And if I do believe it, what do I do? What am I supposed to do while I'm waiting? What is, uh, which is exactly the question that the people who John was talking to asked. In verse 10, it said, what shall we do then? What should we do then? The crowd asked. And it's the question that faith produces. If I really believe, even when I talk about Jesus coming back as judge, some of you, your hearts are hardened. Because you don't want it to be true or you, or you just don't believe it. The story has become old news, a, a fairy tale. The story no longer moves you like when you first heard it. That God has allowed your heart to become hard. And like we said last week, you will be ever hearing but never understanding. Ever seeing but never perceiving. And some of you, 
Your hearts are asking this question. What do I do? Jesus is coming back. What am I supposed to be doing? How do I not let the baggage I carry from my past steal the joy and the peace and the hope of the advent? How do I prepare? How do I participate in? How do I wait for the second coming of Christ? You see, the whole end times thing, I think the church has done some really weird stuff with this. I remember growing up in church and the preachers using these scare tactics on teenagers, right? That like Jesus is coming soon, so you better get ready, right? You might not live to see tomorrow. And we were all freaking out because we were barely teenagers and we hadn't had sex yet or gotten drunk. And, and you know, we wanted to get married and have kids and, and we wanted to have that fun. Don't act like you don't or never a teenager, right? We wanted a rumspringa, right? And now later on, I have kids and I sometimes wonder if he did come back and I'm in the tribulation um, at moments. But it was this idea that the end times were coming and it's going to get really bad. So gather up some water and dusk mask and let's get in the cellar, right? And I'm like, so wait, I'm confused. We don't want him to find us, right? You know, like I'm I'm thinking I want to be out there somewhere where he can see me when he comes back. I want to be, I don't want to be hiding in some bunker, right? I want to be here with a big sign that says, here I am, Jesus, don't forget me, right? So what do we do with this? If I believe he's coming back, that he's bringing his kingdom in, what do we do? And here's what John says to do in verse 11. John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none. And anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. And then the soldiers asked him, well, what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. When the question, what shall we do, is asked. And they're asking it because they believe that Jesus is coming. John answers with an answer that cuts through all the theological jargon, right? And gets right to their heart. And to the first person he says, notice your neighbor. Pay attention to their needs. He's not saying that you've done anything wrong. All you did is you had two shirts, right? But if you have two shirts and you see someone without one, give them the other one. John simply says, if you're paying attention and you see someone who needs a shirt and you have two, give them one. If you have more food than you need and you see someone without, then you give them some food to eat. And what he's doing is he's cutting through their own arrogance and ignorance to the world around them, saying, pay attention to other people. In other words, love others. Sort of an odd answer to this apocalyptic Christ that that John just described, right? Like, I want you to pass out coats. I want you to feed the hungry. Like, you can tell them that I'm I'm ready because I'm, you can tell that I'm ready because I'm passing out coats and I'm serving dinner to homeless people. I'm ready. What is, what is John getting at? That in my heart, in my heart of hearts, is there an authentic divine love that God has given me for other people? Or is it not there? And if not, what should I do? To the first group of people, the response was simply pay attention. Be willing to sacrificially love, to give from your abundance. When you say, God bless America, newsflash, he has. You are. Now you use it to bless others. That's what you should do. While you're waiting and anticipating his return, we need to be people who are engaged in loving others. To the tax collector, he says, well, don't collect any more than you're required to collect. 
To the soldier, he says, don't extort money. Don't accuse people falsely. Don't use your power or your position to take advantage of others. And it's interesting. He doesn't say quit being tax collectors or quit being Roman soldiers. Those were the outcasts and the outsiders of the people of God. He just says, those of you that are in positions of power and authority, do good. Don't use it to hurt others. And all of, all of those, if you look at the three of those, those people identified there, it's a picture that says this is about Father's love, about loving other people and doing good. A love that would cause you to proactively do something or love that would cause you to not take advantage of. He says, I want you to love others. All right, so let's take a look at another side of this, uh, this idea of waiting from, from the other side of the cross. Turn to Romans chapter 13. Romans 13. Paul is sitting in a position like you and I are sitting in today. Uh, it's more of a unique position than, than John had because Paul can look back. He's seen the crucifixion. He's seen the resurrection. And then he looks forward and he anticipates Jesus coming again. And for us, we've read the story. Or we've been told the story. So how do we live in this in-between time? What does Paul say what we should do when he's asked? In verse 8 of chapter 13, he says, Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And whatever other commandment there may be are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Verse 11, why did he, why did we do this? Because the understanding that the present time, the hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. And that sounds just like what John the Baptist was telling the people, right? Like, love them as yourself. Don't do harm to others. Both of them, John the Baptist and Paul, in terms of an answer to the reality that Christ was coming back, both of them are are calling for this participation. The story that you and I are supposed to be participating in now. And that participation is to love God and others. I look back at my life growing up. And I wonder why didn't anyone ever tell me this, right? I remember the, the guy at the revival, uh, he talked about the end times for five days straight and never said once to love other people. Isn't that weird? Like John said it and, and Paul said it. It seems that that would be an important part of the message or the bumper sticker that says, Jesus is coming back. Look busy, right? You know, which is kind of funny, but that's the mindset we get in. It's this idea that he's coming back. So I better do something quick, right? And I better look busy. But when Jesus comes back, he looks at our lives and he looks at our hearts. And he's going to know if there's an authentic love there or not. He just is. All he has to do is look at your calendar. Look at your schedule. Look at your checkbook. Doesn't matter how busy you are. See, when he showed up the first time, there were all kinds of busy religious people. And they didn't seem to fool him very well. And any chance of doing good gets choked out by the weeds of distraction, the weeds of busyness, the weeds of deceitfulness of wealth. 
So it's not a question of how much do we do, we do but is there love? Is it actually there? And does it continually move into these moments of actions because I'm paying attention? At the end of the day, you can sit there and say, look, Jesus, I was a Republican. Or look, Jesus, I was a Democrat. Look, Jesus, I was pro-life. Look, Jesus, I defended my view of marriage. Look, Jesus, I boycotted Target. And Jesus is going to look at you and he's simply going to say, but when I was hungry, you gave me nothing to eat. When I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. I was a stranger and you built a wall to keep me out. Jesus spoke of a different kingdom, a place where the love of God and the love of others trumps any other kingdom or flag you want to fly. So there's these two places where love is showing up in this story. One is in this vertical relationship with Jesus, where I'm saying, God, I love you, and I want to be focused on you, and, I, and, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm awakened to the reality. And the other one is saying that I'm going to go and I'm going to love other people. And it's a message that is woven all throughout the New Testament, that love God, love others, love God, love others. So we come to this season of waiting. Santa, the reindeers, Buddy, the elf, cousin Eddie, commercials, TV specials, all that stuff. And you need to have fun and you need to love your family. And for some of you, this is a horrible season because your family is, is totally screwed up. I get it. It's a really painful time of year, but it doesn't have to be. You can choose to see it and experience it differently with faith and joy and hope. You don't have to just endure it. And it's not just about enjoying it, but you need to experience it. But in your experience, it's saying, God, I want you in a fresh new way to be alive. I want to know that you're real and that you've come and that you're coming again. And I want to believe that. And so the question is, do you? I'm going to invite the band to join me on stage. I believe we have to start there. I believe that you have to come to a point where you say, Jesus, I believe you came and I believe that you're coming again to take away sin and to pour out your love. I believe that in both your advents, I believe. You prepare by being alive with love, with the love of Christ. And when we talk about loving Jesus, it seems, it seems sort of inconvenient for some of us. Gosh, what does that mean? Does it mean I gotta start reading the Bible? Do I gotta do this and that? But what does it mean to be alive for you? That the spirit in you moves. That the love of the father moves you to participate in the story. And it's not just something I have to do or this task or this checklist. But that I'm, I'm alive with it. That you actively express that love moment by moment throughout the day. To simply love people day in and day out with small acts of grace. When Jesus Christ comes, he knows your heart. And he will see a real love for people. We prepare by living out of that authentic love for Christ. And you could sum it up by saying this. As we come to the season, we are waiting for his coming again by living a life of faithful love to Jesus. It's really simple. 
Do we believe that he came and that he's coming again? Are we alive with love for him? Alive with love for others? See, I don't want the story of God and the birth of Jesus and the coming of Jesus to become this mannequin challenge that we do every December. I don't want to be stuck waiting and watching. I want to be waiting in anticipation when I, while I participate in the kingdom of God, breaking in all around us on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray together. God, as we listen to the words of this next song, story of Mary as she anticipated giving birth to the Son of God. The responsibility that was put on this unwed teenage girl. It became real, real quick for Mary and Joseph. May it become real for us as we anticipate As we look back at the first advent and look forward at the last, when you show up with your kingdom, as it has already begun to break into this place in small places through acts of mercy and grace and truth and love, may we recognize it in this moment, in this story, not this one time a year, but may it register all year long. God, speak to our hearts in this moment.